This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. Hi, this is Doug Kay from the All About the Gear podcast here on the TWIP Network. I just want to let you know that I still have a few openings for my workshop in Cuba in early November. For more information, head on over to DougK.com slash workshops. Thanks. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 36. I'm talking today with photographer Peyton Hale, and uh, he's a photographer and a trip leader for The Giving Lens. And Peyton is, is kind of an old school landscape photographer that I ran across in North Carolina a few years ago, and we uh, taught during the same conference, and, and uh, he's a super nice guy. And what struck me was, uh, like I said, he's an old school landscape photographer, so he likes to use optical filters, and uh, you know everything's on the tripod, and he really does things in, in that sort of slow right way in the right light kind of thing. He's not a guy who just shoots everything and is going to fix it in Photoshop. Um, but what I found interesting looking at Peyton's work recently is how much travel photography is starting to come into his, uh, his output, his, whether it's his portfolio or his Facebook feed or whatever. Um, so I wanted to talk to him about that, about his work with the Giving Lens and uh, how his travel with that company as a, as a workshop leader and dealing with local people a lot more has changed his work. It seems to have informed his landscape photography into a whole lot more travel photography. And I think you'll find that interesting. And by the time you hear this, I'll be on the road with my family. Uh, we're heading to Nebraska to celebrate America's Independence Day with some family. And um, I know car trips can be tough for photographers. For me, I want to be prepared for everything, but it's not like you can just load all your, you know, 15 Pelican cases in the car and leave your, uh, your family's luggage behind. So I wanted to talk about what I'm taking on this short trip because I've got some new gear and I'm kind of traveling in a new way this time to try it out. So I just got the new Lumix G7, which is a micro four thirds camera. So I can use all the lenses that I already have. And, uh, I'll be taking the uh, the 12 to 35 millimeter and the 7 to 14 millimeter Lumix lenses. And aside from that, I'm taking the Lumix FZ1000 super zoom slash bridge camera, whatever you want to call it, uh, to, to handle the telephoto end. And that camera goes out to 400 millimeters equivalent. So both cameras use the same batteries, which is why I'm taking the G7 instead of the GH4, because I only have to take three or four batteries and one charger. I don't that, you know, every little bit helps when you're trying to travel light. So this whole kit fits into a Tenba Switch 10 shoulder bag. And along with that, I can put a Lumix FL360L flash, my iPad, and a Western Digital My Passport wireless hard drive. Uh, I can squeeze this little bitty bag in any crevice in the car. I can put it under the seat if I want to, and I'll be ready for anything that I want to shoot. So I, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to trying out this smaller kit, uh, taking probably the smallest bag that I've ever taken on a family trip, and I think it's going to be great. So what about you? What does your kit look like when you want to travel light? Leave me a comment on the post for this week's show at thisweekinphoto.com or drop me a line on Twitter at your itinerary. Uh, I'm really interested to see how you're traveling. Are you using little mirrorless cameras? Are you using big cameras and fewer lenses? Or do you just bring the kitchen sink? Let me know. Looking forward to hearing from you. So here's Peyton Hale. Well, welcome, Peyton, and thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, good to be here. You know, it's funny. We met uh, for the first time in Boone, North Carolina. We were just talking about it off the air. Uh, my son was just a couple of months old, and we were both instructors for the, uh, what was it, uh, Boone Photo Fest or something like that. Um, and uh, it was funny. I remember you kind of making fun of me and Juan Pons because we were 
quote, camping in our RVs and you were sleeping on the ground and really camping. Um, are you still, uh, still sleeping on the ground a lot these days or what? Uh, I don't get out and do as much as I'd like to. Uh, I did a little bit. I just came back uh, about six months ago from living on the West Coast for a year. So I did a little bit of that while I was out there. Uh, my travels now, not necessarily as much um, dirt bagging it as I'd like to. I want to get back to that a little bit. But yeah. uh, uh, I do have some uh, some camping adventure stuff coming up uh, for the rest of uh, 2015. So I'm excited to get back out and uh, be away from the uh, the hubbub of hotels or hostels or anything like that. Sure. Very cool. Yeah, I know Juan is doing, uh, he did uh, an RV uh, photo workshop last year and had a lot of a lot of campers stay with them. Is that something you'd be interested in doing with uh, people sort of backpacking and camping with their photo gear? Oh, for sure. I think um, there's a lot more just than, you know, uh, being able to drive around and see things. And especially with like a national parks are pretty, pretty popular, pretty, uh, um, you know, pop, well, not necessarily populated, but, uh, you know, more and more people are, are venturing out to those close proximity places, but there's so much more to see in the backcountry and, uh, being able to get out beyond the crowds uh, is where a lot of the you know the awesome photos still lie. So uh, absolutely, I want to get out and uh, get beyond the the rat race of uh, all the the people that are hovering around the popular iconic spots. Yeah, it's crazy how busy that stuff is nowadays. Um, well, I think most of your work that I've seen anyway would be considered sort of traditional landscape photography, and you're kind of a young guy. But um, I'm what draws you to that sort of thing? Like the big vistas and, and the big sort of natural scenics and waterfalls and mountains and that kind of stuff. So I've always been an outdoors person. Um, you know, I have a background in zoology and wildlife biology from North Carolina state university. I went into that career field because I my just love and passion for the outdoors. So when I first started uh, in photography, I was doing undergrad research at NC state and, uh, I got to follow a wildlife photographer around, uh, whose name is Todd Pusser. who does a lot for uh, wildlife in North Carolina. And, uh, he let me carry his gear through a swamp and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So, uh, I was like, I could really get into this, you know, I'm out in a way and then, you know, it's peaceful and, um, I can, you know, take photos and be able to have those memories of these trips and adventures. So, uh, I started teaching myself about, um, macro photography in the beginning and then kind of transitioned to dabbling in wildlife and then realized that, you know, for the uh, cost of gear and everything, I, I was really happy with doing uh, landscape photography. So I just have kind of uh, focused on that quite a bit. Um, nowadays, I've started um, entertaining the idea of doing travel and kind of like travel portrait stuff. Uh, I, I'm not a big uh, people photography type person, but um, in the past few years, I've started learning a little bit more about it and I really enjoyed the, that part of my travels. So that's cool. I, in fact, I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. Um, and one of the things that I noticed when, when we shot together the one time a couple of years ago is you're, you're using techniques that a lot of people aren't using like optical filters. And then I've, I've seen your, uh, tutorials and stuff on using luminosity masks and Photoshop and that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of people these days are looking for more the the easy way out and don't really take the time to learn these processes, much less put them to work on all their uh, their images. How do you think those extra steps help to set your work apart? Um, I think really for, for people, you know, it, it depends on how much time you want to invest after you take the photo. A lot of people are definitely adamant about wanting to get the, the photo right in camera. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, kudos to you doing that. For me, um, with... The gear I was shooting, I was looking for more dynamic range, uh, less shadow noise, a few things of, uh, along those lines. So um, 
I started looking into more advanced processing techniques and moved away from things like graduated uh, neutral density filters. And in, in doing so, I feel like I've just been happier with my work as a final product overall. Uh, you know, it does take a lot more time invested with post-processing, but uh, it's, a, it's a learning process. I'm still learning a lot. I still have uh, time that I try to set aside each week to go through and, and, and better myself in that, that manner. But I really feel like in the end product, I am thoroughly satisfied with my results. And uh, I'm really happy with what I have to put forward my portfolio or to share with others. So. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's definitely beautiful work. And one of the things that I notice about your work is even though it is sort of fine tuned in post, you definitely look for that perfect light, you know, as, or as close as you can get it and, uh, and shoot when the light is exactly right. How important is that to wildlife or to uh, landscape photography, even if you're going to post-process the, the image? Uh, you know, it's, it's really about light and mood for sure. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I love to get up and be at a location before sunrise uh, if, if I can at all, I try to scout a location, either what I call in person or digitally. You know, I'll look uh, for uh, colleagues and whatnot that have shot similar locations to see what the light's like based on season. Um, but yeah, no, early morning, late evening, that, you know, those kind of golden hours and, and early morning uh, light displays are important, you know, as the day kind of uh, carries on and the light gets too intense or, you know, um, more flat light if it's. Uh, you know, overcast and whatnot, you know, I, I switch up my shooting techniques. I try to uh, go from either, you know, chasing the good light to look for abstracts, look for things that, you know, uh, complement the kind of lighting situation that's going on. So, you know, overcast days, I may be out um, kind of chugging along in the creeks and looking for waterfalls and things to shoot versus, you know, I may be um, a great kind of example of this is out in the, the Palouse region where I lived last year. You know, that early morning or late evening light kind of rolling over the hills, creating kind of lines and shadows, uh, it totally made the scene. Um, so, you know, putting in the time and effort, sometimes, you know, you walk away with great things. Some days you just sit there and watch this, uh, the quote unquote sunrise without anything happening. And uh, it's all worth it in the end. But, uh, you know, when you have those great, you know, dramatic light moments to take away, it's you know, there's nothing more satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm always... Um it's a bummer. Sometimes people will show up on a workshop and they want to make perfect pictures all the time. But, you know, like you said, the fact is you're not going to get the, the best picture, you know, in every situation, you have to wait until the light's just right. And, you know, the light is just right for whatever you're shooting. There's not just one right answer when it comes to that. Yeah. If we could control mother nature, a lot of us would be out of jobs. So, uh, it wouldn't, uh, go over very well, but, uh, you know, it teach people to kind of think outside the box, uh, push them outside of their comfort zone, and shooting different things. So, you know, it may turn into uh, long lens abstracts or just kind of, uh, you know, different, a different view on things than they might be either wanting to photograph or wanting to see, but it's, uh, it's a way to kind of teach them to be open to ideas whenever they're out and on their own. And, uh, you know, their, the light may not be right, but they'd be able to walk away with still something they're happy with from a location, especially if it's like a once in a lifetime type trip. Yeah, for sure. And that's the whole reason that you're you're going on a workshop, theoretically, is that you want to learn and you want to kind of expand your own workflow. And uh, and sticking with the instructor in times like that, if you, you know, you're seeing a scene and you say, geez, I wish the light was great, but it's not, then, you know, hang around with the instructor and, and take their advice and they can help you, uh, like you said, expand their horizons a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's you know, uh, just because the, the light's not the way you want, it doesn't mean the learning uh, stops at that point. So. Sure. Sure. So are you still taking the long road, so to speak, with post-processing for most of your images or how you have you found 
uh, quicker and easier ways to achieve the same results. Well, the nice thing is a lot of the, with the camera technology today, the dynamic range is getting better. So you don't necessarily have to do as much with multiple images. Uh, you know, Nikon and Sony are kind of leading the way for that right now. And, uh, uh, you can definitely use and abuse a single file and, and get a lot out of it. Um, you know, I still go in and, and do a lot with post because, uh, it's, it's kind of my creative vision, uh, with what, I, where I want to go and kind of my own spin on everything, but I still want more, you know, if I'm using multiple images, I'm trying to bring it back to like looking as realistic as the scene as I can. And, you know, I'm not going to go crazy with like the kind of the comparison, of the old school photomatics where everything just looked, uh, very, um, overcooked. But, uh, you know, if I need to, I will use multiple images to be able to contain highlights and shadows and, and that detail because I, I really don't know what I want to be using my images for. I have a, you know, a, a catalog, a stockpile of things that, um, you know, I'm always uh, eyes open for any licensing opportunities or, uh, you know, most of my work is just more so to showcase uh, teaching opportunities, both in the field and in the classroom uh, scenarios. So, Sure, sure. I've actually heard some uh, criticism of the new version of Lightroom that has the um, PhotoMerge HDR built into it because basically it doesn't go as crazy as Photomatics does. And that's one of the things I like about it. It, it gives a more natural, more photographic result. And, uh, and I think it's great. It's, um, you know, you end up with basically a super raw file that has, um, like 10 stops of dynamic range in it that you can play with after the fact. And for me, that's a lot easier to get the result that I'm looking for. Cause like you, I, I want it to look like you're standing there. I don't want it to look like, I, I don't want the processing to be the first thing you notice in my pictures, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, before the Lightroom six, um, and the, the creative cloud version came out with that self-contained option. I was using, uh, that with the photo merge through Photoshop and yeah, creating the 32 bit, um, HDR image and then bring it back into Lightroom to still obtain that 10 stops of, uh, push through exposure, um, like the new, uh, uh Lightroom six offers. And, and I think it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, again, I didn't find it worked for every scene. And that's why I like to be able to have like multiple ways to approach an image through processing. Uh, sometimes, you know, it works, you know, I'll do that uh, technique and I'm happy with it, but sometimes I scrap it and start over and go through manual blending of three or four layers together with the Wacom tablet. And, um, you know, that's how I end up with my final result that I'm thoroughly happy with. So I just have to kind of approach each image differently. But I think, uh, that, you know, feature that's integrated just in the Lightroom is making it such a more powerful tool that, uh, you know, a lot of people today, I feel like really use Lightroom, uh, more and more. And, and maybe a lot of photographers are just kind of going that way. Um, I've read a couple uh, professionals that are just like fully satisfied with Lightroom and no longer even bother with Photoshop, uh, in addition to using uh, Lightroom six. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. I was using the uh, HDR pro and Photoshop as well. So I'm glad to be able to save that step. Um, yeah, it's interesting how how as Lightroom advances, I use Photoshop less and less. Um, but uh, it just makes it easier, and that that's just less time that we have to spend in post to get the same result. So, very true. I, for my like travel images, really, um, unless I know I'm going to be using it as like a like a print file or a large format print file, I uh, I almost just use Lightroom exclusively for that sort of stuff, and it, it saves me a lot of time, and uh, I'm really satisfied with the results. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, tell me about your work with the Giving Lens. It looks like a great way for photographers to have a photo workshop experience while actually participating in the communities that they visit. 
For sure. So the Giving Lens uh, was founded by Colby Brown, who um, it's basically a way to give sustainable, uh, kind of a sustainable travel uh, idea. So basically, you can go around the world and visit and be able to give back. Um, but, you know, you know, so if you travel to an exotic place and you're spending money in the community, you know, you may be having a small short term impact. But through the Giving Lens, you're able to go, uh, you set up through a kind of a, a workshop experience. You're working with NGOs um, in, in different aspects. Many of them are photography related to teaching kids uh, photography skills, or they may be working with, um, like in Thailand, they do uh, work with a program called COSA, which is a uh, uh, entity that helped women that were involved with the sex trade uh, kind of get back on their feet and build their self-confidence. So it's it's a way to go and give like lasting long term um, uh, interaction and uh, sustainability to those groups. So uh, we each year we work with uh, the same NGO uh, in country. So um, I'll kind of throw it back. To, I just I just got back from Peru yesterday, and we work with an entity called uh, the Pika Floor House Community Project. And so this was I think year four working with them. So. Um, you know, we go and interact with the kids. Um, they're excited to see us. They're, many of them remember us from previous years. Um, and we're helping them with photography skills and teaching them a skill trade that not only builds their self-confidence, but also uh, it just it gives them something that may turn into a career field later on with a big tourism industry in a place like Peru. And um, through the tuition of our participants, we were also able to make a donation to those NGOs to help them with things like computers, uh, building projects for the, if it's a school or um, building supplies for the community that directly impacts that group. So it's a, it's a really phenomenal thing that um, has really opened my eyes to uh, both being able to travel and also situations around the world. And um, it, it has, uh, it really, changed my perspective on travel in a lot of these places and we, we address a lot of the um like i said the challenges that you face in these places that are especially uh popular tourism des uh, destinations sure sure yeah i did some uh, a, a small sort of segment of that kind of work in costa rica this year and uh and it's really interesting with people who are who have had sort of a rough going in their life to give them photography as a way to express themselves that it might be an easier way to express things that they can't say. Mm. And I don't think we think about photography in that way. You know, it's like, Oh, we get a camera. We want to make a picture, but they, they might need, need that to be their voice. Yeah. Like I said, you know, the whole concept is really just giving back through photography. Like our participants go, um, and not only are they traveling as, Photographers to not only see and experience things on their own accord, but when we're working with the NGOs, they are working with either the kids or the particular people associated with the NGO to um, become a teacher in their own right. So, you know, they, they're walking away with the satisfaction of like they've been able to show up and do something that'll have a lasting impact or maybe even just, you know, inspire or change direction Um with these NGO groups that we're working with. So uh, it, it's never easy to leave. Our time there is uh, intense, but short. And, it, you know, but it's something that uh, our participants and the instructors in their own right um, leave and never forget. So I'm sure. um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's just, it was really tough this year to leave Peru. This was my uh, second time down there and uh, I found it harder than the, the first. So, wow. Yeah. Well, and as as you and I both know, the more you teach something, the more you learn about it yourself. So I'm sure that really helps your participants too. Correct. Yeah. No. Um. You know, having 
uh, been there the previous year and, and getting a feel for everything. And then even just seeing the change that's happened um, in the communities we were working in, both good and bad, it's, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, able for me to relate to the, you know, the students like, you know, this is how it was last year. This is where we're at now. These are the issues that are still um, uh, fresh on our minds, still an issue going on, or here's the things that have changed for the better um, as a result of either uh, the country's uh, changes or, you know, our, uh, us being able to have like on small scale, like a impact in the local community. So, yeah, yeah. Well, now, how is how is working with the Giving Lens changed your own photography? You mentioned more people photography, and I've definitely noticed more of that in your feed over the last couple of years. Does that sort of go hand in hand? Uh, for sure. I never had any experience taking photos of people prior to being uh, just before coming on board with the Giving Lens. Uh, you know, I was strictly like into landscapes. That's all I wanted to do. But uh, after watching the Giving Lens go from an idea to a reality and then growing and how much impact it's had on people. And then, then, you know, being able to get the opportunity to come on board with them. Um, you know, I, I obviously had to, to kind of pick up some ideas and, and go with them. Um, it's been a, a big, uh, learning process, but, uh, I found that I truly enjoy it. Um, it's a way for me to share those genuine interactions with either the kids or the people we're working with. Um, with others that maybe either be interested or just kind of follow along in my travels. It's a way to kind of relate to people that um, have a lot of questions and say, you know, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, this is the impact we're having. And, you know, to be able to show like all the smiling faces of the kids because we're, uh, we're there and working with them regardless of language barriers and whatnot. It's just, it's, it's been awesome. It's like, uh, uh, and, and, you know, just, I was just uh, uploading and, and backing up on my photos prior to jumping on this. And, you know, I had like a giant smile on my face to be able to look back over those files in this past week. So definitely, definitely. Now, how do your how do you think your viewers respond differently to your people photography versus your landscapes? Is it a sort of a different crowd? It is. I mean, there's, there's a lot who are just like, just ecstatic to see like the travel aspect of it. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, might not necessarily know this kind of new side of, of, of what I'm doing, but, um, I'm hoping through interacting and sharing more of it and kind of trying to tie more stories to those images that, uh, it'll also kind of bring in just interest to all sorts of thing. Like, uh, my, my hope is that, uh, it kind of opens up to the eyes of, of folks that they can, you know, go and be a part of something like this and experience like the landscape side of it, as well as, um, you know, that we're there doing great work and, you know, we're able to put smiles on kids' faces and, and do things and, um, and the, the moments that they're going to be able to walk away with if they're interested. Um, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house when we had to say goodbye, um, this week. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those emotional impacts and it's nice to be able to share the, all those positive memories from the, the travel through, uh, the kids' portraits as well as group photos and stuff. Yeah, that's great. And hopefully it'll open the eyes of some people who might be fans of your landscape work to, you know, a whole different thing. A, a lot of people think of portraits as some, some you know, sort of special secret thing that you have to learn how to do. But, you know, hopefully that some of your work will, will sort of bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, I think mine right now are still just a whole lot of luck, but uh, I'll take it. So um, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, you got to be quick for those moments. It's, it's worse than trying to chase that, uh, uh fast changing light for sure. Sure, so. sure. Well, because it's all of it, it's the fast changing light and it's the composition and it's that moment that you're, like you said, that you're chasing. So, yeah, 
It's so, tough. That's why yeah, a lot of people don't do it. That's why a lot of people would rather shoot mountains because <laughs> yeah. they hold still. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely a lot easier to shoot mountains than to, to take uh, uh, high energy kids and get them to sit still for a photo or, or just catch those moments when they they give you that the right uh, the right pose, you know. And it's, yeah. it's all it's all candid stuff too. It's not like it's uh, anything's really a forced pose. Like when we're working with these groups, it's. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's candid natural light moments, you know, we'll take them as we get them. And it's one of those things that we're interacting and asking, um, before, you know, we were able to grab those photos, which, uh, you know, we don't want to put them in any, any situation where they're uncomfortable and they don't want their photo taken. So sure. It's a challenge. Cool, man. Well, um, let's wrap up the episode with my usual five questions. And the first two are, are sort of together. What's your current photo gear set up and how has that changed in the last year? Um, over the past about six months, I've migrated away from shooting, uh, Canon's 5D Mark III and EF lenses to the, uh, Sony A7R, um, all of their FE full frame zooms. And then right now I'm shooting the A6000, their, uh, crop sensor, uh, mirrorless camera it shoots about 11 frames per second, which is awesome, awesome little camera, uh, I've been really happy with it. There's definitely some challenges associated with the transition. This was my first full-on trip with the new gear, but I'm uh, still really happy with the results. Um, I think uh, what I'm looking at doing is moving to the uh, A7 II as well as this A7R to kind of cover travel and landscapes um, through and through. But uh, I've been really happy with the uh, about 15-pound uh, difference in gear in my bag versus what I had uh, with the Canon stuff. So. Yep. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's um, shooting like the the big the the five D three, which is not huge, but with the battery grip and everything, and walking around, it's definitely heavy. So I, it is much much nicer with the lighter gear, um, and I, I'm still getting you know great results with it. Um, looking forward to all the new lenses that are about to roll out for uh, Sony from um, you know the proprietary stuff to also uh, Zeiss has the new Battis lenses coming out, which look just astounding for this sort of work uh with like tgl and travel portraits so i'm, I'm stoked for that and then um yeah getting ready to to kind of full-on sony uh and minus like one or two lenses for what i'll be happy with but other than that uh I'm, yeah much much lighter much happier back yeah very cool i'm curious to see how they how they um can keep that going and how small they're able to keep those full frame lenses because you know the heaviest part of your kit is not the body but it's the glass so um, I'm, I'm curious to see where they, what they're able to squeeze out of that stuff. Yeah. The, the, the wide angle, the 16 to 35, uh, F4 is a little heavy. Um, the 24 to 70 F4 is nice. It's, it's really, that's about the only lens I really shot on a frequent basis done there. And then I, um, had the 70 to 200, um, F4 from them, which is, uh, Equivocal, maybe a little lighter than the uh, Canon 7200 F4 uh, mm -hmm. IS. So, um, you know, still, yeah, the lenses are still a little heavy, but, you know, I'm for the body, I mean, the, the 36 megapixel A7R is just like a third, if not lighter than the, the Canon. Just, it's so nice. So, yeah, that's great. Um, well, let's see. What do you do on the road to make your hotel room or your, you mentioned a hostel, that kind of thing, feel like a home away from home? Um, you know, laptop, tablet, uh, picking up a local SIM card so I can stay in touch with the, the outside world. Um, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty, pretty easygoing. I, I don't need a whole lot to, uh, 
to distract me while I'm somewhere. You know, I, I try to fully immerse myself in wherever I'm at and take it all in because, uh, you know, that's that's when I'm there. I, you know, I, I take time to keep in touch or entertain myself a little bit. But, you know, most days are really long. And, uh, you know, as long as I can get some sleep, I'm good to go. Uh, cool. No, no big rituals then, huh? No, not really. Cool. Well, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place you've visited lately? Favorite place that I've visited lately? Oh, man, that's really tough because they're, um, I mean, I haven't traveled a lot in the past few months, but, um, you know, last fall, I, um, I actually got, last fall, I got to go to Iceland for the first time uh, to teach on a photo tour, and it was everything that the hype um had, had, had been about, you know, like, you know, it was really uh, a full on awesome experience. Like I highly recommend it for anyone considering to go. Um, I'm really stoked that in three weeks I get to go back and uh, experience the midnight sun. So uh, yeah, it's, it's probably, even though it's getting more and more popular, still one of my favorite places. Very cool. So, well, that, that brings me to question number five, which is where are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next? It's Iceland again. Iceland again in three weeks, and then cool. after we finish doing a, a, it's basically an adventure tour through Iceland. So we're, uh, I'm working with Colby Brown on that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was lucky to get in with him to to run this uh, like ten day workshop there. So uh, we're going to be camping and driving around, chasing the light as uh, you know it just changes. So that's it's kind of a little bit different from a traditional workshop style. Yep. And then uh, after that, we finish up. We're going to go do some scouting in uh, Norway. So we're going to go over to the Lofton Islands. And I look at maybe doing like a, a back-to-back next year um, midnight sun tour and Lofton after doing Iceland. So it's it's that's probably as far as like places I haven't been that want to go. It's it's big on the bucket list. And then uh, I don't know. I've got a, we'll see what happens the rest of the year. I've got a I'm getting married in the fall, so um, I got to make sure that I'm not infringing in all my uh, wedding planning and everything. So <laughs> that's wise. Yeah. 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 So uh, most of it's done, but uh, you know after. Um, after all that um, gets all said and done and we're, we're all done with the wedding plans, uh, I don't know, 2016 sounds like it's going to be uh, pretty busy. No no final details yet, but uh sounds like there'll uh, be a few more passport stamps going on. Nice. Sounds good, man. That'll keep you out of trouble. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Peyton, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Where can the listeners find out more about you online? Um, for my personal website, it's uh, rphphoto.com. And for more information about The Giving Lens, it's thegivinglens.com, and there are links to all major forms of social media off of both of those sites. Okay. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you later. Sounds great, Rob. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. And if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all of your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. And don't forget to touch base with me on Twitter at your itinerary. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.